Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Tim. I'm senior pastor here. Hey, did you know that last song that we sang was Johanna's song? Did she wrote it? I mean, come on now. It's like, isn't that awesome? I mean, wow, that's a great song. I mean, man. I uh, appreciate Jay taking the duties last week and preaching. I was in Atlanta to see my brother. I don't get to see him that often, uh, this one particular brother. And uh, he kind of travels a lot. And so... uh, we went up to spend the weekend with him, and so I appreciate, Jade, you did a wonderful job. The kids, I watched it, you know, and uh, it, was, it was just wonderful. Hey, how many of you students have finished your finals here? Anybody in here? Somebody clapped. They're like, yeah, okay, let's see the hands, because, I mean, it's okay. I ran into a few students this week in some places like Starbucks and elsewhere, and uh, and they were all like, you know, they just looked like they had come through, like, the Great Tribulation period, but... Uh, <laughs> But they had this a smile, like they knew something, and but but you didn't know what it was. So I asked, and it was that. So how many of you finished your finals already? Let's let, come on. Let's let's. See. You probably don't have enough strength to lift it, right? Lift it up. All right. Hey, we just applaud you. That is awesome. Wonderful. Yes. Amen. There you go. That's great. Now I want you to relax. Okay, chill for the next few weeks before you go back into your next semester. Just take a deep breath, and enjoy it. And uh, hey, um, what is your favorite love song? Do you have one? Do you have one that gives you like, like little nice feelings or you think of that significant other whenever you hear it? Come, do you have one? Because see, I tried to Google out the most popular love songs and there were so many different lists. And actually one list, I didn't know a single song on it. Mainly because I like good music, but I mean, and then all of a sudden I got on to Redneck Christmas. I never knew this particular CD existed, and uh, it had, you know, Leroy the Redneck Reindeer on it. It had, uh, this was my favorite one, Did You Heard What I Heard? (laughs) Classic. It was Classic. And here comes Bubba Claus. That was, a, that was another one. Uh, just It really helped me. So if this sermon goes downhill in just a little bit, you'll know that's, that was my inspirational music when I was finishing up uh, the work on this sermon today. And it is on the, the humble king of love. And uh, each week we are looking at a different characteristic. And uh, this week it is love. Our, our, uh, sermon, our text today is has been in a launching text, was out of Philippians 2, 1 through 2, and then we follow up with a very popular verse that probably most people in here have at least seen at football games and have not read before. And so what I want us to do is like we've been doing, and that is uh, I want us to read this together. So let's read the Philippian passage together, and then we will read the John three sixteen passage as well. Here we go. Therefore...
John 3.16. Here we go. Father, we ask your blessing on your word this morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you for this time of the year that we um, are able to focus in on you coming, Emmanuel, you coming in, in the flesh to be with us, Lord, to, to be able to understand what it's like to, to live on this earth and to deal with the issues and, and all that we deal with and, and to come and live a life, a spotless life, Lord, and give your life for us so that we can be Lord, connected to our Creator and put in right standing. And Jesus, we remember you today, and we thank you for that. And we ask for you, to, uh, Lord, to come in this service over the next few minutes. I pray for your help. Help me in my weakness, God. Help me, and uh, Lord, be able to, to operate in the gift of teaching for the next few minutes. I pray that you speak to all of our hearts, mine, all of us, Lord, and that you would break into our lives through your Word and through your presence, Holy Spirit, in love. So, Lord, we welcome you here. We open the ears of our heart, of our intellect, and of our mind, our spirit, Lord, to you. And we ask for you to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, John 3.16, man, that is a scripture probably everybody remembers. It was the first one I ever memorized. And uh, so, do you remember the first time you ever heard that scripture? See, I don't, because I think the first time I ever heard it was Billy Graham or something, uh, maybe when I was even, I might have been even 20 years old before I heard it, and um, I'm not sure, but I, what I want to do this morning to set up before we get to that passage is, I, I can't not do this because context is everything, right? And when we read John 3.16, so many of us have it memorized, and we love that scripture, we quote it, and then we go, well, I know God loves this world, and God loves me, and he sent his only son for me. But we don't get the context of what, why it was said, when it was said, to whom it was said at the time. And if you get this, it even opens it up even more so. So I, I want to try to do this in as, as quickly as I can and set up this whole situation. This is early on in the Gospel of John, and in John, if you rush through it from the very beginning, we see Jesus calling his disciples. He's building his team, and uh, then he gets, you know, he and his disciples and his mom. Uh, Joseph is nowhere to be seen by now. Some people think that probably Joseph has died. Something's happened to, uh, to him, and now it's Mary and his brothers, his family, and, and uh, that's it, and they get they get invited to a wedding over in John 2. And so probably they knew this person really well or they wouldn't have been invited. And, and so they're standing around at the wedding and weddings then. You think there's something now. Then, you know, they would go on for weeks. I mean, it was, it was quite, a, quite an experience. And so they're standing around and all of a sudden they run out of wine. Well, it's a celebratory celebratory a situation, right? They're having fun, and the wine suddenly has ran out. And, of course, that is just totally embarrassing for the host. And I love Mary's comment to Jesus because it reminds me of maybe something your wife would say or uh, something someone maybe uh, would say, you know, the, the wine is gone, and, and, and Mary goes, standing next, they have no wine. You get this? 
They have no wine. Uh, a person has a flat tire, Tim. But yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And of course, Jesus' response is classic, right? I, I love it. Woman! <laughs> Woman! You know, why do you involve me? You know, my hour has not yet come. And, and when he uses the term woman, it's not a condescending statement to, to Mary at all. It, it, it's, it's just a statement. And it is a little bit of exasperation. And, uh, you know, it's like, what? You know, what, what do I have to do with this? This doesn't involve me. This, it's not my time yet. Uh, you know, my time, which she didn't understand probably, is the cross. I'm coming toward that. That's where I'm headed. This is the beginning of those three years as he makes his journey. And, and so, uh, you know, he goes ahead and, you know, he says, bring, fill the six stone jars up with water. And now there's stone jars, which tells us, and well, it tells us they're for cleansing and they tell us it's for purification. If they'd been clay, then it wouldn't have been that. But they were stone because clay could have been... Uh, you know, it could have been uh, made impure, whereas the stone pots with the water in it can't be. And that's all back in Leviticus and under the rules and the regulations and everything. And so he says, fill those jars with water. And, you know, it ends up being like 150 gallons, 150 gallons. And so they take it to the steward, most likely, and the steward tastes it. And he's like, dude, this is pretty good. Most people serve their good wine at the beginning, and they serve the lousy wine at the end because by the time it gets to the end, people don't know good wine and lousy wine and this thing. And so, but you're serving the great wine here at the end. Well, we, we go, well, that's a miracle. That's just, that's awesome. But what we miss many times as it builds up to John 3.16 is Jesus is making a point here that something wonderfully celebratory is happening. Number one, the old purification of the law and what it took to please God, the stone pots, the purification, the water that you have to wash in to get right with God is no longer, we don't need it anymore because Jesus has come. Jesus, the living water has come. The new wine has come in Jesus. And so Jesus is beginning to show in metaphor and come onto the scene and say, things are changing. Get this? So there's this momentum building in John as we make our way on through it. Now, this Passover, he goes to the temple to worship. He walks into the church, his church of the day, the temple, and he hears all these animals, you know, animals like a zoo in there. Zoo at church, you know, and, uh, and the animals and the bleeding and all of this is going on. And, you know, they're, they're selling the sacrifices and all of this is going on. And, and to be honest with you, that's not that wasn't that bad because the people who traveled to come to make sacrifice couldn't carry their animals with them, and so someone had to have it there to help them. So when they got there, they could make it. So don't, you know, don't take a route, I think, my opinion, don't take the route that these folks were so bad. Like, I've heard this scripture used, like, well, that's church, you know, they're always into merchandising and things, and, you know, we need to get a whip and run them out. And uh, first of all, it wouldn't have been the whip you're thinking about because if it had been a weapon, then the Roman guards would have arrested Jesus. So it wasn't like that, okay? Because there was no weapons in the temple allowed unless it was the Romans coming in. So it was made out of something. He found something to run the animals out with. But it was more that things were changing again. 
that Jesus was saying the temple should be a place of worship, should be a place of prayer. It should be a place of seeking God and celebration and not a place where you have to buy in order to, and to buy something in order to have to come in and be a part of it. Also, most likely, this was done in the court of the Gentiles. There was a special place in the temple where non-Jews could go to worship. Well, these Jewish merchants went in and took over the only spot that the non-Jew had in order to worship. And so they had camped out and had pushed out the Gentiles. Now they had no place to go and worship God. And so Jesus was like, things are changing. My house is going to be a house of prayer. It's going to be a place of worship. It's going to be a place. We don't, we're not going to need the sacrifices anymore. The new wine has come. We're not going to need the purification rites anymore. Things are changing, so he runs them out. I mean, do you see the momentum building? Like all of this is speaking to all the religious leaders in the community at this time. So we get through that. And uh, then we come to this guy named Nicodemus. And this is where John 3.16 was spoken. In this conversation with a guy who was a very astute theologian. Nicodemus was what you would call, he would be the top of any seminary. He knew the scripture inside and out. He knew everything. He was well-respected, probably an older guy. He'd been around a long time. He knew a lot of stuff. He knew a lot of people. He's well-respected in the community, among the faith, among the Jewish people. He knew the Old Testament inside and out. I mean, he was the man. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I know that you are the teacher when you read this story. Not just a teacher. I know, Nicodemus, you are the man. That's what Jesus says to him. I know you're the man. I know you are. And Nicodemus comes at night. And why would he come at night? Is he scared? Not necessarily. Maybe he wanted Jesus to himself. Maybe he wanted to have a conversation with him. Maybe he wanted to get away from every. We don't really know. But we do know that this leader, this religious leader, was very curious of Christ about what he had already experienced and what he had already seen and heard, just like some of you are. Some of you in here are curious. You're curious. You, you haven't stepped across the line yet. You haven't made that decision yet. You haven't responded to what we sang a while ago. You're curious. And so you're checking it out. You're asking questions, but you really haven't responded yet. And I think that's where Nicodemus is. And, you know, if you read on, there's two other places in Scripture before the resurrection and after where Nicodemus shows up and he shows himself to be a very kind person and all, but we really never know. We really never know whether Nicodemus made that, that turn, if he ever really stepped across the line. But it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we get this scripture. In your, I hope you've got one of these. Everybody got one of these, these booklets? If you, we have them for you so you can follow along. And I've, I've just been taking their subheadings here and using them in my sermons. And uh, one of the, the first one is, can we learn to love? That's the question. And for Nicodemus to hear these words, for God so loved the world, would have just rocked his world completely. Because I don't think anywhere 
anywhere in the Jewish writings do we see that God loved the world. It was God loves the Jewish people. And through the Jewish people, if you want to be a part of what God's doing, then you had to come that way. And so it was always the focus was on the Jewish people, not on the world. So when Nicodemus heard this, oh, he was just like, what? God loves the world, and we're not talking about plant life and you know, we're talking about all of it, you know, together that the people of the world, that he loves the world, not the way we act, not our fallenness and not our failures and not all of that, but he loves us. He loves his creation and he loves it so much that he sends his only, one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus is the man when it comes to faith. And this just blew his world apart. All of everything he had studied, everything he trusted in, all the laws, line upon line, the midrash, all of it, every little piece of it now suddenly was just exploded and now being reconstructed in one person, the person talking to him. That baby that came. For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only son, who's standing right here in front of you, having this conversation at night with you. All that you know, Nicodemus, everything that you've studied is pointing to me, to this moment right now. So, you know, God so loved the world. Can we learn to love the way God learns to love? What do you think? You think you can? Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you, can you read this? Read it. Can you do it? But God demonstrates his own love. All right. Could you read it this way? But Tim... <laughs> demonstrates his own love for my neighbor, Francis, <laughs> while he is still very far away from God. Is that possible? Is that possible for us? Does Jesus coming make it possible for us to learn to love the way he loves and loved? For God so loved the world, Nicodemus is blown away. It is just an amazing thing to him to hear this because no longer is it that one little small group that is acceptable to God, but anyone can be acceptable to God now because of Christ. The second one that's, that's in your handout is, can we learn to love deeply? Not just love, not just be nice to I mean, we think that's enough, right? We can just be nice to people. Well, I didn't treat them bad. You know, it's like, but can we really learn to care for people? Can the church, can believers really learn from Jesus how to love people and love people deeply? Is that possible? 
Did Jesus coming as a little child make that possible for us? Him going to the cross, did that, is there power enough in that to teach us and to lead us into loving one another and loving people deeply? Um, there is a, there's a, how can I say this, kind of a map of God's love in John as well. We just saw part of this as, as Jesus builds up to this moment with Nicodemus. But notice this. Okay, in John 3, it's Nicodemus, right? The temple leader, the religious man, the man who knows how to live, he knows the laws, he knows right and wrong, he knows it all. Okay, he is someone who is on the inside. He's an insider, right? Does Jesus love the insider? Did he not tell the insider, you must be born again? You follow on through this conversation, right? And, and Nicodemus, he gets it all confused because he, he's thinking physically, right? So he goes, well, I can't go back in my mom's womb. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Where's this guy come? What's he You know, but that wording can be handled two different ways. One is born again or born from above. And Jesus meant it that way. Jesus meant it, you know, you must be born from above, not just from below, not just in this fleshly realm, but you must be born from above. You must. And so Nicodemus, with all of his religious learning, and this should be a caution to all of us that really study hard and try to get things right and all that, we can miss it sometimes with all that we do. And He's trying to get Nicodemus to see the truth that is standing right before him. Nicodemus is an insider, and yet Jesus comes to him, gives him time, has a conversation with him, and tries to get him to see. So there's the insider. You move right on through the scripture here, and you get to what? In uh, John 4, you get to one of my favorite stories, the Samaritan woman. So there's the insider, the man who is religiously like perfect. He knows everything, everything to do. And then we get to the Samaritan woman. Okay, she's a Samaritan, so she's a religious hodgepodge of belief. She's, she's not like Nicodemus at all. And she's a woman. And not only is she a woman, she's failed in marriage after marriage after marriage and now living with the sixth one. And the seventh man is Jesus. She is an outsider. Totally outside of everything that's accepted. But Jesus sits down with her at the well. Spends time with her. And says, if you knew who was sitting down with you, you'd ask him for water. You'd ask for what's in that stone jar, that living water, to be given to you right now. Jesus loves the outsider. Sometimes it's easy to love the insiders, isn't it? Because they're inside with us. They're like us. But Jesus doesn't just stay on the inside. He doesn't just love the insider. And he doesn't just wait for the outsider to come to him. He goes outside to go inside with the outsider. He goes where she is. He goes where she is. He sits down where she is, and he spends time with her to show how much he cares for her. And eventually, the whole town gets to know. We don't ever see that with Nicodemus. You know, we don't ever see that. But with the outsider here, suddenly we see that. So Jesus setting this 
amazing example as he goes to the insider. Uh, you need to know, for God so loved the world. Let me show you how much God loves the world. I'm going to go to the Samaritan woman. Here's how much God so loves the world, right? Are you getting this? this I mean, this should make you go, whoo! I mean, this stuff is awesome. I mean, can you believe people? I mean, who could put this together? Who could, who could weave all of this together and sew it together? And remember, Jesus, God speaks to us in our culture, in our context, with our stories, with our metaphors. And this is what he's doing right now. He's weaving this to get their attention. He's saying, look, 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 things are changing. Things are changing. And where do we go next in this? We got the insider. We have the outsider. And then this government official, this dad, comes rushing up to Jesus, right? This is an insider. This government official who does not honestly care who Jesus is. All he knows is his son is sick and he wants him healed. He's not seeking Jesus. He's seeking to get his son healed. And he's heard stories about this rabbi, this teacher. And he's like, this guy heals people. Maybe he can heal my son. I love my son. And I don't want him to die. And so he rushes up to Jesus and he says, man, you could, you know, just with a word. With a word, you could heal him. Jesus could have gone, dude, man, I don't know you. What the heck? You know, I mean, hey, you know, you got to hang out with me for a while. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that. What does he do? Go ahead, you know, he's, he's healed. And the servant meets him as he heads back to check on his son. And he finds out at exactly the same time that Jesus said, okay, his son was healed. Insider, outsider, insider. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes, not perish, but have eternal life. And then we get to this crazy story over in John 5 of this pool, this, um, this, these legends, these tales that people are always looking for help, you know. And, and so there's this pool that they believe that an angel stirs the water. And if you're sick or paralyzed or something, if you can hurry up and get in the water when it's still moving, you know, while the surf is still up, get out there, you know, before it goes flat, you know, hurry. You know, if you can get in there. And so there's a guy there, you know, and he's, he's an invalid. He's sick. I don't know if he's paralyzed. He can't move. He's on a straw mat. And, you know, he, he can't even get up to get into the pool. He can't do it. And every time, you know, every time the sets come through, the wave, you know, when the angel sends the sets through, and he's like, I'm on this. He can't get there because somebody takes the wave every time. And so he just sits there every day trying to get in the water when it moves. And, of course, it's all a bunch of hoo-hoo anyway. But, you know, it's like he just can't do it. And so Jesus walks into the meeting, and he sees him there. And Does Jesus pick him up and put him in the water? <laughs> this guy's an outsider. This guy, in some of the Jewish beliefs, would, would have been unclean. He would not even have been accepted by anybody. Jesus walks up to him. Get up. Get up. Up. I love that, don't you? A guy who probably hadn't walked this whole lot or whatever, how many years it was, for, whatever. It's listed. Well, what is it? Let me see. 38 years. Thank you. My age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 38 years, okay, and, and Jesus walks up to him, and imagine this, get up. What would you do? You're like, that's such an insult to me. <laughs> it's like, what? I've been here for 38 years. What does he do? Pops up. Pops up. I mean, this, all of this, folks, don't read these as separate units long and along when you read the Scripture. Look at the theme. Look at as God brings his kingdom in, and, and Jesus tells everyone things are changing. There's a new king in town, and his name is Jesus, and he's a good king. He's a good king for the insider, for the outsider. He's a good king. So you have the temple leader, the insider, the Samaritan woman, the outsider, the government official, the insider, the paralyzed guy, you know, the outsider. I mean, God loves all the world. He loves all. And he leaves the church here as his what? Body. We're his flesh and blood here now. We're his body. To continue to do what he did so that people can see that things are different. Things are different than they were. We, can we learn to love and can we learn to love deeply as, as Jesus does and did? We used to, um, this is, I'll fess up. Leaders in churches used to have people they designated in their churches, and some of you have heard this before, as EGRs. Anybody know what that is? That's exactly right. Extra grace required. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I tell you, I, I've known a few. And um, I remember one particular person, this is a long time ago, but I was just like so, I, mean, I was like, God, I'm really trying to love this person. I honestly am. And I know you love them. I know you do, but... I don't know. I, I'm just really. Are you sure you love them? <laughs> I mean, are you sure? Because um, you know, it's not a lot lovable there. I'm sorry. And and I remember, you know, just remember the Lord just pouring it on me, saying, "You know, Tim, you weren't that so lovable either." And as a matter of fact, even right now, sometimes, like right now, you're not that lovable. Like you're talking about somebody that you find hard. You know, that's such an insult, calling people EGRs, because we all are EGRs. We all require extra grace in our lives from God. Every one of us. If you don't believe it, ask your mate. <laughs> ask your friend that walks with you very closely. Your roommate. Ask. Find out. You'll find out. EGRs. You know, it's just not acceptable. And the your third one in your booklet is, can we learn to love completely? Now, you know, when I read that, when I read completely, to me, it's, can we finish the race well? Can we learn to love in such a way that when we look back on our lives, we'll go, you know what? Lord, I tried, and I gave, you know, I surrendered to you, and I asked for you to come. And help me, and I did completely, complete the race. Because God's still working on us, right? Still, still dealing with us. And so what I want to do is I want to learn to love completely. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that when we learn to love completely, that we completely say what a person does is lovable, right? In while we were yet sinners means in while we were yet unlovable, and while we were yet not where we should be, and 
not behaving the way we should, doing the things we should. You know, we just weren't doing well. Christ came and gave himself for us while that was going on. That's when he came for us. And I can't help but see that this is where the church comes as well. The church comes along the same way. And while people just are not getting it, they're not getting it yet, the church comes along because the church has experienced that Romans passage, has experienced that John 3.16 passage. And now we are his hands, his feet. We are his body. And you know, if this thing is not above normal that we call Christianity, if it's not something different than just trying harder, I don't know about you, but I'm done with that. I'm, I'm done with that. You know, I, I, need, I need help. <laughs> you know that. But I mean, I need, I need, for lack of a better phrase, supernatural help. I need help beyond myself. I need help from a God who loves me, who created me, and I need help from a God who has a dream and a desire for me and always has. I need help from a God who sees the end of my life as being good, eternity being good, and he wants to bring that good from eternity right into the present right now so I can live it right now. I need something much more powerful than self-help. I think that's what Jesus is saying through all of this. And for us to learn to love well, it's going to take a love beyond ourselves. That's stronger, that's deeper, that's wider. A love that comes from a Savior who came and died for us and came close to us when we were so far away. That's the power of Christmas. It's the power of that baby that came. Can we learn to love completely? You know, I know it all theologian. A spiritual bigwig, that's who Nicodemus was. He would have been respected by any church person. I mean, this guy's president of seminaries. He's the, you know, he's a mega church pastor. He, he knows every language you can name. He, uh, Greek, you know, whatever, Latin, you know, Hebrew, uh, Ori County. Um, <laughs> you know, he knows all the languages. It's like, that is a language, by the way. And, um... <laughs> Then there's the agnostic politician. I mean, you, the guy from the government, he, he wasn't even seeking Jesus. He just wanted his son healed. You have somebody in your life you want God to touch? Why don't you ask him? Why don't you be like the government official? Why don't you just go, Jesus, I don't get you yet, but I'll tell you what. Heal my family member. Do it. Send the Bible. Why can't we ask? Right? Why can't we do this? Why can't we ask? Why can't we believe? Because we need more than we can get from ourselves in every way. The agnostic politician who loves his family like all of us do, and the forgotten, physically, emotionally broken, poor guy that's sitting there trying to get into some kind of hokey-pokey medicine thing just so he can get healed. And Jesus comes along and gives him the real thing. I mean, what is Jesus getting at about himself? We're going to sh share communion. Does everybody have a packet? Does anybody not? Would you raise your hand over here? Somebody Can somebody serve these, make sure? Because 
I don't think there's any act of love or any, let's say, um, practice that we do in the church that exemplifies the love of God any deeper in practice than communion. Because it is a picture of what Christ did for us. Now, you, you have these small packets but when Jesus did it, he had a loaf of bread. And I have to tell you, I, I, well, I'm among friends, a few. Um, I'd love to go back to breaking the bread off and dipping it in the wine because I think that means so much to me. But every time I see something like this, you know, I think of the humility and the power of God to come and bring himself into such a small package as a baby. How... It was an act of power, too, and an amazing, beautiful, beautiful picture in the demonstration of God's humility, that he would humble himself down to a frail, small baby, and that baby would one day be broken for us. If you open the packet, there's a wafer on the top. There's two lips there. You pull one back, and then the second one is the juice behind it. Jesus is, on the night that he was betrayed, I mean, insider, outsider, insider, outsider, his last supper before he goes to the cross, he has dinner with someone who is going to deny him in just a few hours and someone who is going to, Betray him as well. Yet he's there with them. And he lifts up the bread. Can we stand? He takes the bread. The disciples looked at him. And I imagine they were like, okay, where's he going? (laughs) It's Passover. What's he about to do? And he takes it. And he broke it. And I want you to think about his body. From that baby to the cross. And he said, I've been looking forward to this meal with you, my friends. This is my body broken for you, Peter, who is getting ready to betray me, getting ready to deny me. And Judas Friend, he called him. Go do what you do quickly. This is my body broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup. Here it goes. Insider, outsider. The wedding chasing them out of the temple. Things are changing, right? The cup of the new covenant, a new agreement, signing a contract with mankind in a new way. This is the cup of the new covenant. This is a picture of the blood of Christ shed for our sins to put us in right standing with him. Drink in remembrance of him. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. 
We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.